Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Lord, I thank you that you're patient with us. The metaphor that our cardio used is so perfect. You buy us the chips and then we hold them back from you because somehow they're now ours. And your patient and your love woos us and teaches us that all that we have and all, all that our life entails is a gift from you. We are not promised one breath. We are not promised one more day. Everything we have is sheer grace, sheer gift. This community in the last two and a half years is pure grace. We're not promised it next week. It could be gone. I thank you, God. I thank you that your love is so great that you've allowed us two and a half years. I thank you that your love is so great that you've allowed us to school to worship you in. I thank you that your love is so great that you do not count our wrongdoings against us, but you keep inviting us further into your embrace. You are the only good father. You're the only good mother. You are God. And I I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, I don't know what they're coming from. I don't know what they think about you or um, whether they're happy or sad or angry. I'm not sure. But I pray that even right now in this moment that they would know that they're not here on accident and that their hearts would be open to hearing what you have for them today. We love you, God. We praise you. Inhabit uh, our conversation. It's in your name. Amen. We've been in this series called Groundswell looking at the gospel of John. And the idea behind it is simple. What would it look like for God who is alive to speak to you and to me? To invade our spirits with his presence and to actually call us into a healthy and vibrant relationship with him. And we've talked about some of those things. It's been kind of intense. I don't know if you've felt it, but like there have been some really intense moments where we've talked about the things in our hearts that that are blocking intimacy, that when removed, allow a swift current of God's grace, God's love, things like trauma, things like false narratives that Jay talked about up there, lies, things like addictions or or cynicism or hard-heartedness, all these things that sort of block intimacy with God. And he's trying to deal with them. He's trying to point our fingers at them and, and offer them to him so that he can remove them and rush in with his grace and his love. It's been some intense moments, has it not? We've had some intense Sundays. I've been exhausted. I don't take naps. I go home after. I was like, I got to sleep. I want you to know today that the life with Jesus is not always this intense. Someone say, praise God this morning. It is not always this intense. And I want to say that if all you're ever looking for are intense, dramatic, emotional moments on Sundays you're kind of looking for a middle school relationship. Y'all remember middle school relationships? You're laughing, I know you do. Where you're like at the locker and you're like, Becky said what to Brian about geometry homework? Does she not love me? You know, like everything is so dramatic. Everything is so intense. The drama, the emotion is actually proof that what you have is real, right? Those are middle school relationships. You want to feel the drama. You want to feel the emotional intensity because that's the foundation. That's proof 
that this thing is real. And then we grow older and we're like, oh, that's not real relationship. Thank God. <laughs> we do have those intense moments. We have those moments where um, there's intimacy inhibitors, right? There are things, lies, actions, deceptions. There are things that are blocking people from entering into deeper relationship and you have to deal with it. But then you finish and you're like, all right, can we go to Hanko's now? Because I need some bubble tea. <laughs> Maybe that's just Anna and me. All right. So too with God. He doesn't want to go from dramatic moment to dramatic moment with you. He doesn't just want you to come in on Sunday and have an emotional experience and think that's it. That's all he has for you. That's so not true. Like any healthy relationship, he wants a daily intimacy, a daily groundswell, real, full, abundant relationship with you. And as we enter uh, these next couple weeks, toward the end of John's gospel, right before Jesus' death and resurrection, that's what we're getting at. And that's what we're getting at with our passage today. We're going to read John chapter 15, the first 17 verses, and Jesus is talking. He's talking to his disciples, and he's giving a really beautiful image of what daily groundswell with God looks like. What a daily healthy relationship with God looks like. So this is what we read, John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command love each other. This is the image of intimacy. This is the image of intimacy, and it's written into the fabric of our human nature, which I'm going to flesh out as we go further. This is also what sets Christianity apart, because this image of intimacy is not one way. It's not just us loving God. It's also Jesus saying, I abide in you. It's a two-way street. It's a healthy relationship with the divine who turns us into walking, talking balls of love. 
I have not called you servants, he said. I have called you friends. We just sang about that. I am a child of God. Interestingly enough, uh, the word, the etymology of the word friend is connected to the word free. So we set our friends free by our love for them. To be friends of God and not just servants of the divine is a radical idea and it's very unique to Christianity. So the question I have today is how do we do that? How do we live in daily relationship with God? What is Jesus asking of us? How do we live in daily fullness and friendship with God? And the answer is just as simple as it is difficult. We abide in Jesus. That's it. (laughs) You want a daily healthy relationship with God? Abide in Jesus. You can go home now. You got it. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? As he says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Guys, I want to be bold and say the answer to all your problems, and I don't know what questions you're coming in the room to with today. I don't know if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, and both of you are welcome here. But I want to be bold and say the answer to all your problems, you have issues in your marriage, my answer is go abide in Jesus. You have issues in your career, my answer is go abide in Jesus. You're feeling very lonely and unlovable, go abide in Jesus. Whatever it is, you have addictions, you're feeling disgruntled, disillusioned, doubting, whatever. Whatever your problem is, my simplistic, ridiculous answer is go abide in Jesus. Make that relationship, make it for the hundredth time or the first time, make it first and foremost to your existence. Every day, prioritize that relationship more than any other and everything else will become lighter. I'm not going to say the problems will go away but they'll become more manageable in a different sort of fashion. Watch. Live a life where if your friends were asked, who's most important to Russell? They'd all say, well, Jesus is most important to Russell. Not not Anna, not his spouse, not his family, not his career, not, not Hope Brooklyn. Who's most important demonstrated by Russell's life? That's clearly God. It's clearly Jesus. Abide. Now, what does that mean? Abide comes from the Greek word meno. Meno, which we've, we saw it translated two different ways in our, our text. It can also be translated remain. To meno is to remain, to tarry, to wait. To abide is to wait, to stay present. But it's really important we get this here. It's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's an active availability before God. It's expectant. It's, it's active listening with someone. So and we talked about this a couple weeks back. Loneliness, which is such a, a, an epidemic right now. Loneliness is not as simple as just getting a bunch of bodies in the room. That's not abiding. We're, even though we're physically proximate, we're still lonely. Why? Because we want, to, we want to not just share words. We want to share our lives. We want to actively remain available to this person to change me, to know me, to know the good, bad, and ugly in me, to speak truth, to encourage, to abide in someone 
for a relationship to abide. As Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. There is something deeper beneath the physical taking place. It's not just to be physically present, but to be spiritually, emotionally, relationally available. To be seen by the other person. You know exactly what I mean when I say seen. We are so easy, especially in this internet, social media world, to put up exactly the image we want people to see. But we're not really seen. <laughs> no, not really seen. To abide is to be really seen by someone. As Simone Vale wrote, absolutely unmixed attention is prayer. That's what we're going for. To be actively present with Jesus, which is why Christianity is a little unique. It can appear like an institutional religion. It can act like an institutional religion, but it's so not. There's a deeper current beneath the surface, beneath the practices and the institutions and the liturgies. There's a deeper relational dynamic, which is everything to what Jesus is offering the world. He's not offering the world a religion. He's offering the world a relationship with the living God. And we put institutions and practices in place so that that relationship can flourish and be healthy, right? The practices serve the relationship, not the other way around. And interestingly, that's exactly why Jesus would get so angry with the Pharisees. You see this happen with practices like the Sabbath, right? Sabbath means you don't do any work. And you would see Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would just, they would freak out. Like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus would say, guys, guys, was the Sabbath made to serve people? Or were people made to serve the Sabbath? What's he saying? He's like, who's more important to God? The religious practice of the Sabbath? Or the people? And the Pharisees were saying, it's the religious practice. He's like, no, you got it backwards. We only have practices in place insofar as they serve the relationship, as they bring people closer to God, to a healthy relationship. And as soon as they stop doing that, get rid of them, because then they become harmful. So when I say abide in Jesus, showing up for church is great, but it's not abiding. Reading the Bible is wonderful, but it's not remaining in Jesus' love. The habits are meant to serve you and your heart remaining open and available to God. It's kind of like abiding is like date night. I don't know if you've ever practiced date night. Anna and I, we've tried to practice date night. Here's the thing about date night. You don't just like wake up one evening and you're like, oh, we're in date night. <laughs> it doesn't happen by accident. You got to be intentional. You got to plan it out. Thursday, date night. Put it on the calendar. What is it now? It's an institution. It's a practice, a religious practice that we have put into place to serve our relationship. But the way we enter into date night is also just as important. If I'm not entering into date night with a heart that is available to Anna, that is available to be vulnerable and honest and her to me, then the practice, the institution, is actually inhibiting our relationship. And we need to get rid of it, right? It either, it's supposed to serve our relationship. Our relationship doesn't serve date night. And that's what Jesus is getting at. 
All the practices that he opens up for us are meant to serve us knowing the depths of God's love for us. The truth of this world that we're in. Groundswell is abiding. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? I think there are three parts, guys, and they're not rocket science. They actually might disappoint you how easy they are. First thing to abiding in Jesus, be loved, which is the hardest part of the whole equation. Be loved. We are so bad at simply receiving love. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have. You receive a compliment, right? And what do you do? You're like, oh, thank you so much. But what is that? You're deflecting it. You're deflecting it off to the side. Or you receive a compliment and you're like, oh, actually it was the group. It was a group thing. You're deflecting it. Do you know how hard it is to actually just receive a compliment? Thank you. That means a lot to me. Somewhere deep down, we don't think that we deserve compliments, that we don't deserve love, or like that's a bad thing to receive love. We are so bad at simply receiving love, receiving delight. Do you know who's not bad at receiving love? Children. They will take all the love that you will pour out for them. They'll take it when you don't have it anymore. Which is why Jesus says, unless you can receive the kingdom like a child, you won't receive it at all. Because the first thing that requires to abiding with Jesus, to a daily relationship with God of groundswell, is to receive his love. Before you're asked to do anything, to be any sort of way, to feel anything, your relationship with God begins when you are actively present with Jesus and you simply know yourself. You bask in what he says, that you are his beloved. And you remember what I said earlier, it's written into the cosmos, it's written into creation. Anna and I got a chance to, uh, to hold a one-week-old baby this last week. Do you know what one-week-old babies do? Nothing. <laughs> they literally give nothing. They take food, they take your sleep, they take your love. They can't even hold their heads up. You got to hold their heads up. I'm just learning this, guys. I'm not ready for, ch- for fatherhood yet. I knew that. I'm just kidding. I'm selling myself short. They have no self-consciousness. Think about this. So far as we know, one-week-old children have no self-consciousness. They don't even know who they are. They're giving nothing in return. They are absorbing. They are deeply receiving their mother and their father's love, delight, and adoration. That's the first thing you did when you came into this world. You gave nothing to it. You took love, hopefully. You took, Alice Miller, a child psychologist, says, the mother gazes at the baby in her arms, and the baby gazes at his mother's face and finds himself therein. I love that line. It brings me to tears. Before we do anything, we look at our mother, and we know who we are. Is our mother smiling at us? Does she adore us? We're not even aware of ourselves. We are simply receiving delight. Before a child does anything, says anything, can even hate or love anyone back, the child receives attention, delight. The first task of daily groundswell, guys, is to get back into the arms of your mom and receive her delight again. Because that's what's true. 
despite what you've heard, what's true, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what has happened or not happened, what's true is that God's love for you has never wavered for a second. The first step to abiding is to receive. Henry Nouwen writes a lot about this first unconditional love. And in one of his books, he says, the farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. The greatest trap in life is not success, not popularity, not power, but self-rejection. Doubting who we truly are. You are the beloved. I just want to pause here because I think tons of people in this room need to hear that. The greatest trap in your life, and I don't care if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, is doubting who you really are. It's not success, not popularity, not any of those things. Who are you? After all the things, and don't deflect it as you deflect compliments. As I say it and the rationalizations come up, don't deflect it. Who are you? You are the beloved of God. He intended you to exist in this world, and he is so overjoyed that you do. And that has never changed, not for one day of your existence. Overjoyed that you're here. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Before you do anything, the first step is to be loved. Step number two, love Jesus. (laughs) First, we are loved, and then we love Jesus back. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding is to receive his love and then to love Jesus back is to keep his words. And again, it's written into the development of a child, right? Think about it. The first thing a child does is they're not self-conscious. They're just absorbing everything. They just take They take your food, they take your sleep, they take your love. But then at a certain point, what happens? They begin to comprehend. They begin to give back. They they give smiles, they give actions, they give mannerisms, they give emotions. And what is happening? You as the parent, your words, your spirit, your emotions are abiding in them, are forming them, are shaping their reality. Y'all know the sadness and the humor the first time a child says, it," just like dad does. Dad, I'm from North Carolina. We said it" down there, all right? You know what I'm talking about. When the child says that curse word and they say it just how dad said it, with the same emotion, something is stressing their lives, and you have that dawning, that horror of, oh my gosh, they're watching. My words are abiding in them. My emotions are living in them. My fears and insecurities are shaping their realities. That's what Jesus is saying. Let my word, says Jesus, abide in you. Let them dwell richly in you so that it will begin to shape your reality. That's how you love me back. Or on the inverse, remember the scene from The Help where it became like this swept the country where the, the main character would talk to the child that she was nannying and she would say, I am good 
And the child would say back, I am good, I am smart, I am smart, I am important, I am important. Let his words abide in you. Get up and recite them every morning. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. That's who I am. I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. Let them abide in you. Jesus has given you words. He's given you practices. He's told you to get alone and pray. He's told you to fast and to worship. He's told you to prioritize time in the morning or in the evening to just be with him. He's told you to sing and be generous and turn the other cheek and let your yes be yes and your no, no, and forgive others. But you won't be able to do any of that unless you are alone with him abiding. The end of all our Bible reading, of all our showing up here on Sundays, of all our attending tables, of all our praying and fasting, the end of all of this is to know ourselves as God's beloved and Jesus. And when that's the case, it's only because we are saying that my relationship with Jesus is more important than any other relationship in my existence. That's the only way, if I prioritize it to that degree, more than my wife, more than my children, more than my church, my job, more than anything, that is most important because that is the the foundation out of which everything else will come. Let his words abide in you. And as as, uh, Nowen says, when I forget that voice of the first unconditional love, these innocent suggestions can easily start dominating my life and pull me into the distant country. When we're not abiding in his words and his love, there will be other words abiding in us. (laughs) And they're not going to tell us as nice of things. They're not going to tell us the truth. Daily groundswell can only be when your relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship of your life. Date night with Jesus has to be more important than date night with Anna. And the thing is, friends, I have no doubt throughout this series that there have been things spoken to you, that God has said things, that offered you words that are yours to do, that are yours to heed. And in so doing, to see him, to receive his love. And it might feel impossible. It might feel insurmountable. It might feel really, really difficult to actually obey that word, to put it into practice. But I promise you, on the other side of that obedience is a swift current of God's grace revealing the next step to you. I was reflecting on it this time last year Something God said to me is what I did when I was a child was have a prayer journal. Get early in the morning in my prayer time, write out my prayers for people, write out my prayers. And I have for an entire year. And it hasn't gone exactly how I thought it would go, but you know, as I look back over the past year, my relationship with Jesus has deepened really, really a lot more than it was this time last year. I obeyed. I let his words abide in me and I did them. So what is he saying to you? How do you know it's God? It comes from the gut. Not from here. It comes from here. It comes from the inside out. What is that thing coming from the inside out that's a gentle whisper of love saying, do this, don't do this, try this, say this, don't say that? Now, what would it look like to do it, to let his words abide more in you? So first, be loved. Secondly, love Jesus. And the last step to abiding in Jesus Love others as Jesus loved you. 
To be loved by Jesus and to love Jesus is to bear fruit, to continue the vine's growth, which will only happen through the same current of love that has so consumed you, it consumes others. And here's where I want to pause and say this is the biggest issue I know for most of you in the room. This is the biggest issue because what I'm saying, I'm saying the answer to all your problems is to make your relationship with Jesus first and most important. And everything else will begin to fall into place. It won't be easy, but it'll be lighter. It'll be different. And you're scared to do that. You're scared to give Jesus all of yourself. You're scared to make a relationship with him most important. You're, you're, you're saying, how, how is putting him above my family actually allowing me to love my family better? How is putting him above my spouse actually allowing me to love my spouse better? That's what I'm advocating for. But you're like, this just doesn't make sense. Why can't I just love the world? Why can't I just love people? Why do I need to love Jesus first before I can love the world? It's kind of like a piece of pie versus the yeast in the pie, right? We just want Jesus to be a piece of that pie. Like, here's my, 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 my time with Jesus, but then over here in this other piece is my time with my family, and over here is the time with friends and career and so on. That's what we want. And what I'm saying is Jesus needs to be the yeast the main ingredient that sprinkles throughout the entire pie. It needs to flavor every other piece. Why? Why can't I just love the world? And this is what he says. This is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. This is the reason why there's nothing like the gospel, and there's nothing like the story of Jesus. This is the reason my wife and I film weddings. Everyone quotes 1 Corinthians 13 at their weddings, even if people don't even know it comes from the Bible. <laughs> the, the whole love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does, it, does not boast. Everyone quotes that, even if they don't know it comes from the Bible. And the reason why is because when we look at the story of Jesus, when we look at who this guy is, there is something deep in our hearts that says whoever he is, that is the fullest and deepest expression of love I've ever seen in this world. There's something about the historical record of Jesus of Nazareth, the way he talks with his disciples, the way he interacts with the crowds, the way he touches uh, the marginalized and welcomes children. He's totally unpredictable. And then the way his life ends, his story ends when he gives himself up and dies on a cross for his friends, for God. We all look at that and say, I've never seen another story like this. The story of Jesus is what we most want to be true about the world, even if we don't believe it. We want it to be true. Something in us says, this has to be the source from which I come. The reason why we can't just love the world, but we have to be loved by Jesus and love Jesus first, is because we don't know love in its fullest, fullest form outside of seeing it in the story of Jesus. You say, I can love others, and sure you can. Of course you can. But you can't do it like Jesus, and you know it. Everyone knows it. 
I am the vine, he says. The Father is the vine grower. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God whose name is love. The one who is behind all existence has been summed up with the name love. And what we see in the life of Jesus is love incarnate, love in the flesh. And we know that as we examine it, that my life doesn't look like that. My life certainly doesn't love others that way. The reason why we have to love Jesus first before we can love others is if you try and love others without first being loved by him and loving him back, you will grow tired, you will grow weary, you will grow hurt and embittered, and you will quit. And do you know why you will quit? Because the world isn't lovable. (laughs) You're not lovable. I'm not lovable. How could we possibly find the reserves to keep on loving people that aren't lovable? Maybe they'll be lovable for a moment, but then it'll stop. I was an eighth grade math teacher for one year, and that was enough. (laughs) I was done. And I remember I talked to uh, my friends about kids. It was like my first foray into childhood, or not childhood, but like having children. And I loved my kids so much But it felt like 99% of the time, they were such brats. But then one little thing they would do, and it would just win me back, right? My kids weren't lovable. Why did I love them? Because they were mine. For the parents in the room, your child is going to take and do things. They're not going to be lovable. Where do you find the reserves? Because they're yours. And if we trace it all the way back, we find that there is a creator whose name is love, who's able to love not because you deserve it, but because he is love. That's what C.S. Lewis said. Jesus died for us not because we were lovable, but because he is love. That's what love does. You're not love, God is love. But if you're abiding in the one who is love, you'll find some unbelievable resources to love the world really well, better than you can even now, and to lay down your life for it. Which is why the best Christians, if I can call them best, the ones that you see and you're like, man, I want whatever you have. Do you know the secret? They don't love the world first. They love Jesus first. They cannot get enough of him. They just pride. They can't wait to wake up and be in his presence. That's how they're able to love you really well. It's because they love Jesus and they receive it. That's the secret of the gospel. Do you want to love the world deeply? Be loved by God first and that love is found in his son. Then love him back fiercely and you can't help it but after that to lay down your life for this beautiful broken world. The poet Spencer Reese put it so well, talking about his relationship with God. He goes, all I know is that the more he loved me, the more I loved the world. All I know is that the more I received the love of God, the more it opened me up to love this big, beautiful, broken world. Not because the world is lovable, but because God is love. And now that current is working through me to put a few more branches on this vine as it stretches out. 
I want to invite the, the worship team back up. And before we close in prayer and song and then come to the table, I want to end with one last little anecdote. Um, most of the, the New Testament, the various gospel writers and um, the letters of Paul, they were written around 40, 50, 60, 70 A.D. The first extra-biblical, and by that I mean not from the Bible, but the first sort of outside of the Bible account we have of Christians comes from a guy named Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish historian who wrote around 40, 50 A.D. He wrote a massive history uh, of the Jewish people in, in the time of Rome for the Roman audience. And he gives this really interesting phrase, almost like a, just one line, uh, a throwaway about this guy Jesus and his life and his death and then his followers, the Christians who were starting to, they're barely, I mean, they're like this is apt stuff. It's just started. The church has just been birthed. It's just starting to spread. And this is how he describes the first Christians. And this, this is the most perfect description if the whole world would just see Christians this way, they would get it. This is the essence of those who are in relationship with Jesus. And you know what he said about the Christians? They were those who loved him at the first and refused to forsake their love for him. Even after his death, even after his resurrection, and to Josephus, he just thought his death, he didn't know that he was raised. The essence of Christianity is those who have loved Jesus, who are just head over toes smitten by him, and come what may, refuse to forsake their love for him, not for the world, for him. You want daily groundswell? Be loved. That's all he wants to give you. Be loved. And love can be harsh sometimes. Love can be sharp. But it sets free. Then love him back fiercely. Love him. Love him first. And then you can't help it. But overflow like ripe grapes on a beautiful vine to love this world. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, I mean, my prayer is simple today, God. As we sing this song of response and as we come to your table, would you fill our hearts with your love for us that we see perfectly embodied in Jesus and his life and his death, that he, God in the flesh, came to earth and laid down his life because you are love. Would we receive that deep in us today? And would we respond with praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to you? Would you kindle in our hearts a deep, deep love for you, Jesus, knowing that all the rest will fall into place? And for those in this room who are afraid of doing that, God, whether maybe because they've never entered a relationship with you, or maybe they're just afraid of what it would look like to go all in with you. 
my prayer is that you would overwhelm them with your love so they would know that that you are worth far more than anything else. Would we in our lives as people look at us, as they look at Hope Brooklyn, and they say, who is Hope Brooklyn? Who are these people? Would they describe us as those who loved you at the first and refused to forsake our love for you? Only you can do it, Jesus. So we thank you. Amen. Before we come to the table, would you stand? And we're going to respond with a song together as a community. Hey, Hope Brooklyn. Darren here, your fellow Hope Brooklynite. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're part of the community, you're aware that we've been exploring the topic of generosity and stewardship. Each week, we offer a thought to reflect on as we prepare to enter 2020, relying completely on your generosity. So have a listen to what we discussed this last Sunday, and we'll see you around the table soon. Today, I'd like to welcome you to our first fireside chat where people from the Hope community will be sharing their stories about God's generosity in their life. And please, so will you welcome, help me welcome our friend, Arcadio, who will be our first fire chat with victim. Hi, everyone. As you know, Arcadio has been part of Hope for close to two years. He's part of the OG. He is uh, active as, uh, very active on the welcome team in this, uh, the weekly setting up, and he's also been hosting a table group. Arcadi- Park Slope. <laughs> table, uh, Park Slope, yeah, right. Correct. <laughs> so, Arcadio, tell me, what compelled you first to give the church? What, what broke the seal? Uh, actually, I wanted to start off with a little anecdote from my life. Um, I thought it was pretty relevant. Okay. Um, so this came to mind, actually, a couple months back, I was talking with my father. When I was a kid, um, well... Let me start. Let me step back up a sec. Anyone who knows me knows I love chips. Megan can confirm that. Um, Pot- so, potato chips. Potato chips. Right. I love potato chips. So when I was a kid, um, my father would take me to the bodega, and he let me grab whatever I wanted, and I always grabbed these little 25-cent um, onion rings, the wise ones, the green ones. Yeah. Um, I love them. So at the register, my dad would ask me, hey, can I have a couple chips? And I'd literally, like, take the chips, like, tuck it into my stomach, and then, like, turn away and be like, no. Uh, <laughs> and my dad, like, would smirk and laugh, like, you know, to himself. But he'd be upset because, really, he was just trying to teach me how to share. Um, and I just, I wasn't seeing him for my dad, the provider. Um, but, yeah, so I, I thought it was pretty relevant to the concept of tithing. Um, so, so you grew up in a Christian home, um, didn't always willingly go to church. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually you started trying it out. Um, yeah. Now you're consistently here. But uh, what changed? What changed from the young boy who didn't want to give up <laughs> one chip? Because after all, you know, one chip adds up. It becomes 100 it chips, 1,000 chips. Where does it end, right? Yeah. So what, what caused you to want to start giving? Um, well, well, first, just in general, um, when I turned 28, I started going to church. Just life brought me there. I was struggling in a lot of other areas of my life. Um, Happy to go over that in detail with other people. Um, but I, I made the commitment to start going to church um, in Manhattan. But I, I still had this, like, distrust of church. Things you hear on the news, past experiences, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I, for me, I had to, like, kind of get over that trust hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to do that wasn't to just start giving, to be quite honest with you. Um, I just started committing to going to church. Um, I committed to starting to build relationships within the church 
And here at Hope Brooklyn specifically, um, I feel like God's been calling me to make a commitment just in my life in general. So I made a commitment to Sunday, then to tables, um, then to welcome team, um, and then eventually to leading a table. And from all those relationships, um, I felt the right response was to tithe. So you start giving, and you know we've mentioned this before, where New York City is an endless cost place. There's always another financial need. So why, you know, how do you, how do, you do it, right? It's scary, and why not, you know, keep a big rainy day fund, like a big war chest just for a really long rainy day? Uh, <clears throat> that's funny you say that because I, I struggle with that all the time. Um, I always second-guess myself and how much I should give. I've literally calculated how much my residual income is month to month versus, you know, how much I make, and I've done all these funny, weird calculations. <laughs> Um, but then, I, you know, I'm here every Sunday, or mostly, uh, and then I, I listen to when they say, like, the reoccurring gifts really help, um, and it makes sense. So I made a decision, like, if this is what's going to help the church, I'm going to set my recurring gift to the first of the month, and just trust that God could do more with my money than I could. So it's scary taking that first step. Maybe the first step is the hardest, right? Um, do you have any suggestions for us? You know, what, what can we all do or, you know, what, what, what would you recommend? Um, I, I would say start small. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's all kind of founded on trust. And even with my dad, like, I, I didn't really trust him because I was a kid and I felt like he'd just be taking from me. As I got older, it'd be ridiculous for me not to share because I, I know he's my provider. I know he could give me more than a bag of chips. He could buy the whole store of 25 cent potato chips. Um, but even with just Hope Brooklyn, um, I would recommend just like I, like my, like a similar evolution, um, start coming to church, start building relationships, uh, commit to a table or a, a welcome, a team. And I, I really believe from that, um, that the tithing will happen naturally and you'll want to just give and then you'll want to just give more. So start small with a super duper small, sorry, Russ, what you feel comfortable giving. Uh, but that's what I did. And as I got to know Russ and Bryant hanging out uh, every Sunday in the welcome team and all the people from my table, like, I, I trusted them. At the end of the day, it, it always came down to trust. Do I trust what Hope Brooklyn's going to do with my money? Do I trust my dad? Do I trust God? So um, start small, be consistent. Um, and then, um, oh, yeah, that, was, that pretty much summarized it, uh, both financially and uh, non-financial commitments. No, Arcadio, we, we know you've been very generous. And... Um I think we, I just want to thank you today because your, your, your greatest gift is not just your resource, but sharing your heart to, with us today. So, so thank you. Would you please join me in thank you, Arcadio. I hope that made sense. <laughs> to find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at LizVice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>